0: Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this very exciting first episode of Casa de Cambio for 2021, I am delighted to be joined by Sharon Connolly. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much, Natasha. Really pleased to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So you are a Microsoft Office MVP and a change management lead.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite a strange, um, I think that's quite a strange combination there because not, I mean, there are quite a few change managers who deal with technology releases, but I don't think that many of them are that technical themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's quite a strange combination.
0: Mm. Um, and before we get more into that, uh, one, a couple of questions I ask all the guests that come on to Casa de Cambio is firstly, what are you currently reading, watching or listening to?
1: Oh, um, Reading. I'm actually halfway through through reading. Um, I can't remember, remember what it's called. A, a, a novel, a Jodie Picoult novel about elephants, um, because I'm a bit, I'm a bit um, personal development booked out. So mm. I just feel that I need to take a little bit of space. And I don't, I don't actually read that much. Um, watching, um, I'm actually. If I had to say that I was watching anything, I've been watching. Ed Stafford's survival which is like so he gets dropped in a, a remote island and he has to survive um and for no other reason than that my partner is into that listening to um I've got some really like poppy poppy like Spotify playlists <laughs> which I'm probably don't wanna don't want to reveal what's in them but very very easy listening to so actually, not everything, everything that I'm watching, listening to and reading is very much escapism because I'm I'm working really hard on my side gig and also my new role at AMP.
0: Mm, mm, Yeah, I feel some similarities there. I'm um, all about the escapism as well. And, you know, for most of last year when we were in lockdown, I was like, yeah, I just want to watch travel shows and live vicariously through my TV. So I get it. And um, what is the best piece of career advice you ever received?
1: Oh, um, I never received any good career advice. Um, so maybe that's the best career advice that I can give is that you have to figure it out for your, for yourself. And I think that I was very lacking in career advice. Um, so aged about at the time that I was at school, I guess, maybe age 16. So I went to very good grammar school. And they said to me, what, what do you want to do. And I said, I wanted to be a beautician. And nobody said to me, do you know what? Um, And there's nothing wrong with being a beautician at all, but nobody actually said, Hey, you know what? have you ever thought of going to university or have you ever thought of studying for something that was a little bit more intellectual? Or even if you wanted to be a beautician, hey, what would be a really great idea is to back that up with some business stuff so that you could open your own salon. Nobody ever did that for me. And they just went, oh yeah, okay, sure. Go to, go to beauty school, um, which I didn't end up doing. But I would say that my career advice was severely lacking. And I have tried to make sure that my children have had much better career advice.
0: I think that's good advice in itself because there's a lot of things that we wish we'd been told or, think, you know, had been challenged about us when we were younger.
1: As somebody who's quite entrepreneurial, I think that whatever somebody says that they want to do, there's always a route to a great life in that. So I do know people that I, that I went to school with that have made... A really great career about being travel about you know from being travel guides or you know following their dreams to travel the world but then they've taken other people on on those dreams as well and you have to have a way to make a living and different people's perception of making a, a living is is quite different it's not necessarily all around money but no matter what you do there is a way to live your best life doing that if you want to do that
0: yeah yeah, absolutely. And speaking of living your best life, you have uh, made quite a reputation or a profile for yourself with your change superhero mm-hmm. workshops, um, mm-hmm. one of which I will register for soon, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I have been following what you've been doing on LinkedIn and you've got PowerPoint, uh, how to do really amazing infographics, you've got Excel, you've got a change management 101 toolkit. And you've got all these great little things you're offering on the side. Mm -hmm. So tell me a bit about how all of that came about and came to fruition.
1: Completely by accident, not planned at all. So I was um, I was waiting to go for a new role at. Before we talk about that, I should talk a little bit about my history, my background. So I spent. My early career being an IT trainer. So I would teach very standard at the time, what would be a very standard introduction to Word, Excel, PowerPoint, which would be a one day course. And I spent my early career being an IT trainer. Um, Working for myself, and when you work for yourself, I was working for myself for over 20 years, you've got to dig deep and you've got to find you know, the entrepreneur inside of you. To When you have your own business, you've got to learn about advertising and marketing and in the latter years, social media and getting yourself out there. And as well, becoming a speaker and becoming an advocate for what you do. So I did an awful lot of that. And I sort of thought that I'd left that behind as I got a job as a change manager when I moved to Australia and I was in a space where I was uh, about to start a role at CBA and I had about six weeks whilst they were doing all the security checks and it was a, a sort of over wine conversation with one of my friends it's like, and she was talking about how as a financial advisor her husband was going to be in difficult territory because he was in his 50s and I said, what do you mean? I don't I don't understand why are you in difficult territory when you're in your fifties? She's like, well, of course, people just start to discount you. I'm like, are you kidding? Are people gonna start discounting me because I'm in my 50s? And she said, actually, probably not in change management, but it did start me thinking about how I needed to really think about. As a change manager, what do I stand for? What's different about my view of change management? And I need to go out on the I need to go out on a limb and talk about what I think change management is. And for me, that is very much um, etched in where I come from as a, a, a person who's had their own business and a person who creates solutions out of nothing, very creative solutions, and doesn't follow what has gone before. And I know that that is not what everybody wants, but I decided that's 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 who I am. I'm, I'm about creating something different for people. And I started to be very brave, or I thought I was very brave at the time, posting a couple of articles on LinkedIn. And completely by accident, on one of those articles, I posted an infographic and it went crazy. Instead of having five people like my article, 55 people liked my article. I'm like, whoa, okay, people like infographics. So then I continued to do that. And I, I had never really thought about doing anything more with them. I've always been great at doing them because as a PowerPoint trainer, it was part of what I did. And it was part of the skills that I took to my employer as a change manager. Um, but I had no idea the impact that it would have. And I continued still with the no, no idea of the impact that it would have. And, um, people would start asking me, where do I learn to do these? And I would say, well, I'm self-taught. There's nowhere that you can go. This is just basic PowerPoint stuff, but with a lot of stuff, people don't know the basic PowerPoint stuff. So people would say, where do I go to learn these things? And then one Saturday, I don't know, I just sat down one Saturday and I just created a website and I put a course up and I thought maybe, maybe five people will join. I don't know, maybe two people will join. And, um, I can remember my partner saying to me, what have you been doing all day? And I said, I just created a website and I just put a course. And he had a bit of a laugh. And he said, nobody's going to book on that. And then by the next morning, five people had booked on it. And, you know, and now and, and we are talking about a mix of paid and free courses. But I've now had over um, well over 2,000 people book on change superhero courses, which is just crazy. Oh, because I massive. started in May last year. Yeah.
0: I launched a series of workshops in May and I definitely haven't had over 2,000 people. So that's insane. Kudos I, to you. Um, I,
1: I do want to say that um, before anybody starts doing the maths, <laughs> that that is quite a few freebies that they have, um, quite a lot of freebies that people have been going on. But um, yeah, plenty of people have been paying to go on them, which is amazing because when I first started it, I was very hesitant about starting it in um, times of COVID because I thought, you know you've been on you've been on um zoom calls or teams calls all day the last thing that you want to do is to come home and learn something else yet yeah, they did so people so were great. very
0: into it because I felt the same thing I thought oh people are worried they don't want to spend money you know a lot of people are between jobs and yeah a lot of people are just um zoom fatigued uh, and the response to my stuff and other people were doing similar things in COVID was very, very positive because I thought, oh. oh, should I be launching this in the middle of COVID? But I didn't get uh, my previous contract extended. And as anyone knows, the market was really bad during yeah. May and June. And this was in May. So I was like, wow. And I'd been thinking about doing these workshops and, you know, offering them publicly because I'd been doing them for clients and that had always gone down well. And I thought, oh, well, well, we've got nothing better to do. Um, The phone's not going to be ringing for you until at least the new financial year. So good on you. So you did all of that. You launched your workshops and (laughs) how has it been for you then? And then is that when Microsoft uh, sat up and took notice?
1: Um, So I didn't, I, I have the MVP and I didn't even know an MVP existed, which is, kind of strange. And I don't even know when it came around, because I had been a Microsoft trainer in my previous life for many years. And one of the guys that followed me on LinkedIn, um, he said, hey, you should be an MVP. And I said, a what? So he explained to me, so what an MVP is, is a Microsoft valued professional. So it's somebody who goes above and beyond in the community to uh, promote Microsoft products. And, you know, Microsoft don't need to do this. I'm just a massive advocate for all of the products and the things that they do anyway. And I'm really about empowering people to make the most out of them. And he said, you should apply for this MVP. I'm like, okay, what does that get? And it's actually very cool because I've got a number of awards that I've picked up over years, like for example, I'm a CSP, a certified speaking professional, and quite a lot of these awards that you get require you to continue to pay to be a recipient of this award, and you've got to carry on going to their conferences. The Microsoft one like, you get this award from your merit, and you don't have to do anything, you will continue to get it. And it's just cool, because I get things like my um, LinkedIn premium membership, and I get Office 365. And this amazing community, uh, this amazing community, without any caveats, without any, oh, yeah, you must come to this, or you must do this, or you've got to get your learning credits and things. So I was a little bit skeptical at first, because of all of these other things that I've previously invited to to get this award but it's it's great and the community i think it's quite interesting for the community as well um in australia new zealand i think there is there's something like 122 mvps and only 40 of them are women and also being mm. being somebody who's older as well there are a lot of these really cool kids that do all of this program with bots and things and i'm like okay so i'm you know uh an an older person being an advocate of technology very much in a workplace environment and that's what i think is nice that i can bring um that makes them interested in Microsoft as well I'm very much about practical application so many of those guys are all about new cool stuff I'm about actually stuff that's been around this is what Change Superhero is all about stuff that's been around for a very long time it's just not being utilized people are looking at all of these little snippets and apps to create things I mean you could just do that in PowerPoint like what you actually you don't have to pay anything more you've already got the software you You guys just don't know how to use it.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so on that, um, why should we, you know, learn how to make our presentations better? Like why can't I just put three dot points on one side of the slide and three dot points on the other?
1: Well, you know what, sometimes you can. So it's about investing the time where it matters because as somebody who taught presentation skills before, a lot of the stuff that anybody who teaches you presentation skills out there is so irrelevant to what we do in the business world. So if I speak about, if I talk about the time, so when I I lived in Singapore for seven years, and I spent a lot of that time being a keynote speaker, which would mean that I would stand up in front of an audience of 500 to 1,000 people, and I would present to them. That presentation is extremely different to what we need to do in a business on a daily basis. So I would stand up and I would talk to people about, oh, you've got to tell the story and you've got to evoke emotions. Actually, that's complete crap. You just need to get in there. You need to deliver your three dot points and then you need to get out of there because these people are really busy. So I don't think that the aforementioned presentation with three dot points on one side and two dot points on the other I don't think that should be banned. It has a place. It absolutely has a place. I need to go into that meeting room and I need to explain this to these people and then I need to go. That's it. That's. But when I do need to explain, when I need to roll something out to thousands of people um, and I need them to to stand up and take notice, then there's a better way of doing it. And where I, the bit that I come from is that some people will have the benefit of having a, communications department and a budget to go and have a graphic designer but most of us in our change management roles do not have that we just have to do it ourselves and we can do a lot better than those three dot points but we need to think about where we spend our effort so we don't spend four hours doing something that we're going to spend two minutes on a meeting we do spend the hours something that goes out company-wide or something that goes to a lot of people or it goes to a very select audience so I would spend those four hours for something that goes to a board so think about where you spend your time think about the message that you want to get and think about supporting that message and absolutely there are still times that you just I do whack a title on and wax six bullet points they shouldn't be banned there's a there's a reason for them that you know I just need to get in there and, and talk about it really quickly
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's usually my issue is time because I feel like I, I can do, a, I'm not, I'm probably nowhere in the same league as you, but I do know a bit about PowerPoint, mm-hmm. but sometimes I just don't have the time to spend prettying something up and just go, Oh, no one even cares about this except me. Um, and, but on mm-hmm. the, you know, the broad communications piece and things like emails and newsletters, what are some tips and hacks that anyone can use to save time when we're using these Microsoft office programs? Because as you quite correctly pointed out, Outlook, Excel, PowerPoint, that's our bread and butter. That's what we use all day, every day.
1: It is. Yeah. So I think if I, if, if you said I'm going to limit you to the amount of tips that you give out, I think that I would start by saying, particularly as we've moved to PowerPoint in wide widescreen layout, um, people are really using the whole of that widescreen and what they're doing is that they're typing eight points across the whole of a widescreen. If there's one, if I could just say, do one thing, split it into three columns. Okay. So if if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, if you have got a PowerPoint full of bullet points, can you split it into three columns of bullet points? Or even a table. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, table's another whole <laughs> whole thing, but let's just stick with it. Let's just stick with the three, let's just stick with the three columns. So, and, and that anybody who knows anything about art and anybody who knows anything about photography, that's the rule of thirds. But what we can, what we should think about is that when we read our eyes on a line, it does depend on the font, but generally our eyes lose their place after they've read seven to nine words. So if you're typing across the width of a whole column and there's 30 words in there, people are going to lose interest. And what I always say to people on all of my courses, whether they're videos or Outlook or infographics, is you're competing for their time. I know myself, I'm really interested in the podcast or I'm really interested in what's going ahead, but I'm still multitasking. I'm still shopping for shoes or doing my food shopping at the same time. You have to create something that's so compelling that makes people stand up and listen. And I've had a lot of my friends who have sat on my courses as well. And they're like, yeah, I was watching your course, but I was sort of multitasking. And then you said something and I completely needed to pay attention because what you said was so compelling and I knew that it was gonna be so useful to me. And our challenge is to make people sit up and pay attention at those times where they really need to listen. So it's... reducing the amount of information that we're giving them and then the important information that we're giving them, giving it to them in a way that they can actually go, whoa, hang on a minute, I need to look at that. Kids in the background, dog barking and all of that, but hang on, I really need to pay attention. And sometimes that is by just putting one word and one figure on a, on a slide, which is how much money we've saved, rather than in it being embedded in 10 bullet points.
0: Great. Right. Thank you. That's a great tip. I love it, and I'm going to start doing that immediately. Um So another thing I wanted to ask you about is I think, as change folk, like you mentioned, we very rarely get to uh, go to a graphic designer, you know, get a voiceover artist for our videos, mm-hmm. especially when you've got a home podcast set up. um and we end up doing a lot of comms work and stuff and and using corporate branding ourselves. And as a result, we sometimes can come up against some entrenched attitudes about how information needs to be presented. Uh, and one that I come up against all the time is that, you know, we need to send emails and email being the preferred form of communication. And another one is the brand police saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, the logo didn't look good. Yeah. there." Blah, blah, blah. So do you have any advice for us changes on how to?
1: Yeah, Um, get them on your side. So I remember doing this, I was working at MLC and this had had bitten me on the backside a number of times before, because what you want to do, um, we did this really well in a project that I was working on in Westpac, we did this really well, and this was sort of the wake up call for me of how great this could be. We're rolling out a project at Westpac and one of the guys, I take no credit for it, but the instructional designer, um, he actually used a superhero. And it wasn't the same superhero that that I have, but um, he started to brand some of the instructional design stuff with this little superhero. And it really brought home to me how people go, oh, yeah, that's the email with the superhero on it. And we were able to send people, we sent them cakes. So after they'd completed some of the stuff, when they'd upgraded, we sent them cakes with this little superhero on. And it really brought home how with a sea of information that, and you can imagine how much they get at Westpac, with the sea of information that people would say, yeah, I remember the superhero. And um, I subsequently use lots of things other than superheroes, but you can get in trouble with the brand police. But at Westpac, we made sure that as well as having the superhero, we stayed in line with the fonts and the particular type of swoop. And I would Give all of the credit to this other guy who was brilliant, Craig, who did all of this. But it was a really a good learning curve for me. And one of the things when I moved to MLC, I knew that you could get in big trouble for using the wrong brand. So I actually went out early on and had a coffee with the branding guys. And I said, look, I'm coming in here. They've asked me to do all this creative stuff. In particular, they've said, can you use things like Canva? And, and I said, and I don't do that. Everything that I do is PowerPoint, but I want to know where the lines are. So at what point will I be stepping on your toes? What do I need to come and put past you? And in actual fact, it was a really good conversation because what they said was, wow, you can do PowerPoint really well. We don't do PowerPoint because they were all Mac-based. So we ended up with quite a really good relationship because they would bat people over to me and say, can you show people how to stick to the brand on PowerPoint? And anything that was external needed to go through them. But I think just having that conversation with them and having that little understanding was, okay, so if you're creating your own icons, we tend to do different shades of the same color, various as opposed to different colors. And I just found that having that conversation early with them, that they knew the challenges that I would have and I knew what was going to be difficult for them to accept. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. I wouldn't say that that's always going to work, but for me, just taking those branding guys out for a cup of coffee, going, this is what I'm going to be doing. Let's work together.
0: Great. Wonderful.
1: And what
0: upcoming Change Superhero courses do you have that you'd like to tell the listeners about?
1: Um. So, all of my Change Superhero courses come from fixing problems. They come from gaps in knowledge. So, going back to what I said before that I had no master plan, I started off in May last year doing the infographics course. And then somebody just asked about, and I I was taking those at MLC and I was turning them to videos. I'm like, oh, well, maybe other change managers will want to turn them into videos. And then I was also taking my content and turning them into email messages because, and all of the courses come from fixing a problem. So when I was at Westpac, we were creating these great, or I was creating these great infographics. And then my change director said, we figured out that most people look at these infographics on their phones. So what's happening is that they're needing to stretch it out and it's really not conducive to what, you know, is there a way that we can do it differently? Well, sure, we can pop our infographic information into emails and we can make it easy for them to consume them there. Similarly with the um, the next one that I did, which was Bullets to Brilliance, people would come on the infographics course and I would a- always talk to people about how was it, where do you need help? And they will say, it was great, but I still find myself looking at a blank piece of paper and I don't know what to do. So this is where the next one was. Okay, I'm now going to show you how I take it to pieces and how I take a 20 page I take a 20-page Business Scope document, and then I put that into my change pack. So that was the bullets to brilliance. SharePoint, single source of truth, that's something that we all need to do. We we think that um, SharePoint is just to store documents. It's not. It's a welcome mat to our project. It's, it's a mini website. So I'm really interested in and very excited doing that one. Change Management 101, that went last week or two weeks ago. That was really great um and the new one that's coming up again as a as a people saying me helping people with it is surveys so when i've been asked to help people with surveys i'm looking at the questions they're asking the wrong questions they're asking Mm -hmm. the wrong questions so that they're not asking them in the wrong way (laughs) So I've looked, at, I've looked at other people's questions. and like, that's not going to give you the results that you want. Oh, there we go. There's another Change Superhero course, which is, um, which, is, which is how to set up surveys and also how to analyze the results to your survey. Everything that I do is starting with the end result in mind. Depending on where you are in change management, either you or your boss or your boss's boss will be presenting the outcome of your change activity to the board or to the steer code to prove that you have done a good job. So everything that I do is based on what is happening at that meeting. So whether it's the metrics from the survey, whether it's the dashboard analysis for the change, whether it's just presenting what we did in a very easy to consume way everything is driven from validating and confirming the success of the change that you have delivered because people don't always value that change and you have to justify the amount of money that's been spent on it yep so that you stay so you get your next contract or even yep, if it's new, the people who come after you, you leave a legacy for the people who come after you in that organisation.
0: Amazing. I'm nodding very enthusiastically at that last part for the listeners. It's always hard to justify the spend on change. I think it's a um, constant it challenge.
1: It depends where you are. So some organisations massively value it and, you know, to have at least one or even more than one Uh, change professionals on a project is an absolute prerequisite others are just not not clear what you're going to do for them so that again becomes part of your job to educate them on here's what I'm going to do and I've also been on a number of projects where you know that you're just there for a little time so I I actually believe that as a good change manager you want to teach everybody in some degree to be a change manager Whether they're a BA, whether they're a project manager, whether they're an EA, everybody needs to understand change management and make that part of their role. And if you're in an organization that doesn't have a big change practice, what you can do is you can leave a lasting legacy so that everybody else understands, even if it's only ADCAR, even if that's just the the little thing that you leave them with. You know, most people understand what SMART goals are just add "ad car to their vocabulary. And whenever they're about to roll out a change without a change manager, they just run through that in their head. You know, are people aware? Have I instilled the desire? Do they know the reason for doing it or the consequences for not doing it? Am I preparing them? You know, we just run through that with them, whether they're a change manager or not.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly because I find that the more people you can teach about change and upskill about change, the better, you know, the group, that group of people collectively will be identifying, actually, this seems like a high impact change. Maybe we do need to consider a change manager. Whereas if you corral and kind of keep all that knowledge to yourself and don't share it, then they're not going to have that same level of acumen. And it actually leads to a better understanding of change and more work for change managers rather than being you know, thought out three weeks before go live.
1: Don't you feel that change managers who are not openly sharing are sort of maybe not in the right place in their career? Because all the really great change managers that I know want to share abundantly. And when I do find the odd one who goes, no, this is my IP, I want to keep it to myself, I really worry or I'm really can. I'm just intrigued about why they're in that position because everybody that I know that's a great change manager, and I can also say this for most instructional designers or learning professionals, we have, we were brimming over to find the best in people and help people to achieve to be their, their best self. And when I come across a change manager who's not like that, I just think, are you really an accountant? Are you yeah. really yeah. an audit? <laughs>
0: well, I i mean, that's not what I'm like. I'm about, you know, coaching, sharing. I actually have to work not to give everything away. Absolutely. Um, that's more my challenge is... <laughs> making sure, you know, I keep some for the paid workshops. (laughs) But, you know, I'm all about sharing. And I also, I think it might have been I read it in a Tim Ferriss book uh, because I've got all of his books and I listen to his podcast and I'm a big fan. But he did say put some stuff out there for free and see how it goes. And it does come back to you twofold because then you can collaborate with people, you learn from others who share with you. Um, And, you know, I, I think you're better for it.
1: Oh, massively! And so, um, with the ch- going back to the change superhero stuff, you know, I all my templates are free. So there's over a hundred templates that are free, and they I know really- I've downloaded some. <laughs> they're really good templates, and if I go right. on to um, the KPMG site, you can you can pay seven hundred dollars for fifty average ones, mm-hmm. and mine are actually really great for change managers because they are, most of them, some of them are just pretty, but most of them actually do stuff. They actually fill a gap. They allow you to deliver something because they're the stuff that I use all day, every day. Or even if I'm not using it in my current job, somebody's asking me, hey, Sharon, have you got an idea for doing this? And I do give them away. And But if you look at the testimonials page, people come back to the website and any business you have an issue with getting repeat business so people are coming back and even if they're coming back on a daily or a weekly basis to get those those free templates they are coming back they're telling their friends about them and you have to sort of decide I don't I don't sell templates I sell training and education and the templates are a great way of engaging people if people don't need the training and education then they're welcome to have the templates because I'm about making everybody uh better and educating them and I do a lot of free courses as well but that's also trust you know that's trust because I think people think wow she's giving this stuff away for free wow what am I going to get when I actually pay and what you're going to get is you're going to get even even more (laughs) and even when you if you try and say stop telling me stuff I'm like no I'm going to tell you more and more and more and more but that's I think coming from the again the, the the heart of the change manager to actually feel more impassioned and enthused about getting the most out of anybody above what we're doing for ourselves it's about going the extra mile to get the best out of other people and that's I think intrinsically change managers yeah.
0: I was actually chatting to someone last week, um, another podcast guest, and we were talking about innovation and staying current. And, you know, she was saying, God, and so many people, you know, they can't do PowerPoint. Haven't you heard of Sharon Connolly? <laughs> and I mean, oh <laughs> she's actually coming on the podcast as
1: well. So But what I'm teaching now is what I it's a it's a very interesting journey because um I'm actually not teaching anything for the most part that was that hasn't been around for 15 years or maybe even more it's just the application of it and when i first started out with the microsoft courses that people would people would come along and they would do a one day introduction to powerpoint and then they would do a two day intermediate powerpoint and then they would do uh, an advanced powerpoint there's the same of all of them i could probably teach about 15 days worth of all of this stuff it's not it's very job specific now. So when I teach um, Excel dashboards, it's, this is how, guys, this is how you measure your change activity. There's 50 different functions that I could tell you about in Excel, most of which you're never gonna use, but here are the ones that I use again and again and again to measure my change activity. So I think that as change managers and um, education professionals, what I have done is a good lesson for all of us. We need to just make it very specific to our audience to allow them to be productive and do something. And that's where my success has been. It's been to niche. And I did start to target change managers. And of course, project managers and coaches come along and they message me and they say, "Oh, I see your courses are for change managers. Is it you know relevant to me as a somebody with my own business absolutely it is but it also gives us lessons of when we deliver our change we need to deliver that change for the most part for the people who are going to be impacted the most and everybody else who's slightly impacted sure we can tailor it a little bit for them and we can say absolutely you're welcome to come on this workshop but it's all about looking at where we can provide the most value yeah
0: yeah great and I think, you know, um, I've been in the change industry for a little while and, and and you have as well, but just change managers and people who want to be change managers, that, you know, that audience in terms of your customer base has grown so much um, since I stepped into the industry and there's all these people trying to get in. So I never really realised um, how many people are working in change at the moment and how how many people want to get into change. Because when I started change, I didn't even know what it was until I'd been doing it for a little while.
1: Absolutely. I I had no idea. And I really wish that I had known what a change manager was. So when I was living in Singapore, so I went to Singapore um, following my husband there. So we're talking about 11 years ago. And I had a, I don't know if you know this, but I had a very different career. I was an image consultant for a while. For uh, 12 years, I ran a business as an which interestingly is the biggest biggest change the biggest change management that you can ever go through you know helping somebody at the core of their identity when they're having a, a crisis of how they look and how they dress and how they package themselves talking them through that and this journey to be a new thing so this is a this was a massive learning and again at the time I didn't know as a change manager but I went to Singapore and um I'd been there for about a year, no, actually not even a year. And I'd been married for 17 years. And then through various things that happened, I ended up leaving my marriage and having to, uh, I had no job. I had nowhere to live. I had no money. And all of a sudden I just had to, had to work, I had to work, which is why I went back into the sort of the IT training. I really wish that I knew that the job of change manager existed because I could have easily got a a job as a change manager and I could easily have earned loads of money but I didn't even know that it existed and it wasn't until I came to Australia and I got a job as an instructional designer and I was on the project I was working with change managers and like see that thing that those guys do that's what I do I don't just design the training I don't just Like make the video, I do everything. That's what I do. So I didn't even know that that existed. And I went and I did a little bit of digging around. Like, what the hell is a change manager? Uh Aha, change manager. That is what I've been doing for the last twenty years of my life. Trainer, transformation consultant, whatever. But I had, I have been a change manager for the whole of my life. But I've only had the job title for five years. Yeah and I went along and I did the pro-side qualification because I felt like a fraud I thought I think I'm a change manager but I haven't got a qualification to be a change manager and I went all along and I got a qualification and then that made me think no that was interesting that course but what I do is really change management that stuff that you've just talked about I can't do that (laughs) I can't do that I can't do that in the role that you need me to do it in most of the organizations that I'm in it's some really cool stuff in there but I'm not as a contract change manager, in a position to roll that out most of the time. Which I I, yeah. I hear echoed from so many people. When I did my change management 101 toolkit course a couple of weeks ago, there are people there saying I'm pro-sci, I'm PCI qualified, I've got an MBA in change, all of this stuff, but nobody just gives me a here's the kit, just roll it out and get going. This is what you need to do here. This is what works. Yeah, I I
0: have the same feedback that, yeah, you can get a certification and you can learn about all the theory and Cotter and Kurt Lewin and all of the founding fathers and what their research said. But how do I actually roll out change on a project? What do I do when a stakeholder rings me up and yells at me?
1: (laughs) I think that Some people, those courses and the in-depth knowledge are fantastic. And if you were in the privileged situation where you were in an organization as a permanent employee and you were having to make some massive cultural change impacts this would be fantastic if you were in there as a, you know, if you were a KPMG or a PWC in there um, with massive amounts of change, then this stuff would be invaluable. But as a change contractor, you go in, you've got six months, just deliver it, just do it. And that's where you need these these, these fast toolkits. And some organizations, have, you know, when you go to somewhere like CBA, they have got here is our framework, this is what you deliver. Whereas other places are like you've got, you've started where's your framework have you not got one and people have gone actually no because I've come from somewhere that had a framework and I do quite a bit of coaching or just coffee catch-ups with change managers who who feel very lost they've got all of the goods they just don't realize that they have got it and they haven't got the time to just mm put it into a framework. And I would recommend that everybody develops their own framework with their own nuances. But um, if you haven't got one, you can start with mine. (laughs) I have multiple ones. And I've got,
0: you know, the MVP and the agile, and that could be probably my next round of workshops. (laughs) It's the MVP for change, what you need to do when you don't have time. (laughs) Yeah. Resources. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the other thing about these big waterfall methodologies such as ProSites. It's like, well, that's lovely, but who has the time for all of that and who has the resources? I certainly don't.
1: It's not even the time and the resources. I remember going all bright-eyed and bushy tailed into a new role where they had requested, they had specifically said we were interested in somebody that has pro size. So I, you know, dusted off all of my templates and I was really excited about it. And what has to happen, if you think about it, when you go in there and you do their PCT workshop things, you need to get probably about 10 senior managers in a room for at least half a day. Mm-hmm. And And you need to ask them a lot of questions. And if you're not able to do that, you need to make assumptions that as a new person in an organization, you're actually not in a position to make those assumptions about a stakeholder's commitment to a project. So you have to get these people into this room. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to do that. And even if you do get them into a room and you end up with a PCT score of 14, you go, okay, our project is going to fail. So, guys, I need you to work a little bit harder. I need you to dig a little bit deeper and I need you to be on this journey with me. After you've had them in the room, they have to come back after six weeks and you have to say, let's let's do all of this again. And what's the PCT score now? And then six weeks later, now what's the PT, PCT score? They're just not going to do it because... I think it depends on your seniority in the role where you go in, but me, you're just a change manager. Deliver this stuff or right? just do it. And um, asking us to get all of us senior managers to come in here and talk about our commitment to the project, so we're committed, yeah. just do it.
0: Yeah, I know. If I could get 10 senior managers in a room, there's mm. a lot of things I would probably need to discuss with them before their commitment to the project. <laughs>
1: I, like, think, okay, I think
0: that a,
1: a permanent somebody who's in a permanent role that's embedded in the organisation and has been there for a while and has built up this relationships is in a much better place to use that. Uh, and it's uh, it's a really great framework, but not for your hit the ground running contract change manager that's in there for six months, p- getting paid well to deliver.
0: Yeah, it's all about delivery and getting runs on the board and picking off the low-hanging fruit and all of that stuff.
1: Absolutely. And this is where as well, I think that when you are picking off the low-hanging fruit, to be able to go in and produce some pretty good infographics, to be able to do a video in PowerPoint really quickly like that and to start getting that attractive communication that has traction out there – it's a secret weapon. Now, whether you've created them yourself or whether you've just downloaded and recolored in my templates, it is, wow, that stuff is really cool. This is good. We want some more of that.
0: Or even a podcast about <laughs> yes. your project. That's another good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm making a podcast at the moment um, and it's proving to be, yeah, people actually really like it when you mix up the mediums of delivery. Um, nice. And even though it takes... It, it takes well, it well. takes more time to create a podcast with three or four of your sponsors and, mm. and GMs and executives than it does to smash out an email, but the impact um, is so much higher.
1: And this is, again, where you're talking about the podcast, if I go back to my um, early days of running my own business, you know, one of the things that you knew was, and I think that the numbers are, e- are even scarier now, was that people need to hear you or see you at least, used to be seven times. I think that it's gone up to 24 times now, Um, but also across different platforms. So some people will prefer to watch a video. Some people will prefer to download an ebook. Some people will prefer to watch a podcast. And what you have to do if you have the time is to actually make your content available on all of those, all of those. And people underestimate how long it takes to edit a podcast, how long it Takes to edit a video, you know, all of these things do take time. Now it's interesting that when people have budgets, it can be it can be outsourced. So you've got places that you can go to do this, but will they do it very well? Um, I don't know, Natasha, if you've had any. Um, experience of doing that. I've had experience where it just doesn't go well and you just end up doing it yourself. But I Fixing think if it, find, yeah. yeah, if you find great people to do that, that, then great. But we need to give people a variety of mediums if we can, the video, the podcast, the ebook, the one page, you know, so that they consume this information in a way, including coaching and having their leaders give that to them. They want to get that information in different ways, however works for them. Yes, yes.
0: Um, And a nice infographic could be just the way to deliver that
1: visually. And it's self-serve as well. You know, if we look at the way that we need to work going forward, we should be putting it out there on our SharePoint going, here's our page. Do you want to view it, listen to it, watch it? If we have time, let people self-serve. Don't push it to them in an email. Tell them where it is, and then they go and pick it up. And this is going into again where um, change management goes into human centered design. We, when people say, well, they they won't they won't have time to go and look at it. They look at Insta, Snap, Gram, Chat, or whatever, whatever they're doing. They look at that all day, every day. We are yeah. taking the things that they do in their normal life and bringing it into work. So, at AMP, we have workplace, which is um the it's like Facebook for work. People saying they won't go and see they will they you know when they have a reason to go to Facebook every time, if we give them a reason to go there, they will view it. Whether you have Yammer or whatever it is in your organization, if you give them a compelling reason to go there, which is normally seeing their friends make an ass of themselves doing some dance in a dragon suit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. go there they will it has to you have to hook them in and then they will go and consume that information rather than having it pushed at them
0: correct correct and you have to make it have some value to them
1: Mm. um
0: like you said make it social all that stuff
1: yeah Um, that's so interesting in covid isn't it it's so interesting how lots of the barriers have Broken down, and you know you're on a a, a, a team's call where there's dogs and kids and stuff in the background, and so much of our so much of our home life has come into our course That I one of the things I'm being asked to do at the moment at AMP is to make sure that we don't lose some of the really great learnings and shifts that we have made in terms of having a trust based. Um, the ways of working around trust. So it's not like you you don't need to be there between nine and five. We trust you to do the work. Whether you do that at nine o'clock at night um, because you've got other demands like kids and things, or maybe it's just more convenient for you to have a hair appointment at three o'clock in the afternoon because you like to work at nine o'clock at night. And I really like the way that that has shifted. And certainly one of the things that I'm trying to do in AMP is to make sure that we don't lose that, trust and work-life balance and that we we look at the good stuff that we've had and we continue with that going forward wonderful so for
0: everyone listening www.changesuperhero.com.au you can get a whole bunch of free templates as As well as hundreds (laughs) of free templates free templates and they're great and you can also register for one of Sharon's amazing courses I will be attending several this year just got to line them up with my schedule.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. And but if you if they don't line up with your sh- sh- if they don't line up with your schedule, you can always just get a video. So all of them are available. If you register for one and you can't make it, then. We send you the video, and you can just watch that in your own time. And anybody who does just get the video, um, going back to what we were talking about in the, you know, the way that change managers are. If you watch a video and you get stuck, then I have one to one call with people and say, okay, let's 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 talk through it. You know, Um, instead of saying, there you go, you've had a video, that's it, you're done.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast.
1: I just really enjoy chatting to change managers anyway i think that um it's always so enlightening having change chats so thank you i've really enjoyed it no i've learned a lot
0: thank you and once again for the listeners www.changesuperhero.com.au get on it